Well, good morning. Hello. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I am one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is so good to be able to gather together, whether it's here in person or remote. We are just delighted that you would choose to take the time and make the space to join with us as we seek and engage with God. Uh, If you are joining us remotely, we do want to let you know that although there are a variety of ways you can do that, we recommend our online platform. Uh, It's got all kinds of extra goodies for you. It's at www.onelifeseattle.org slash live, and you have access to our online prayer team, online chat, Bible tab. There's all kinds of cool stuff there for you, so, um, so please enjoy that. But again, Whatever way you can connect with us, we are happy uh, that you would choose to do so. Uh, Let's pray. Dear God, I give you uh, great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. We acknowledge that you are mysterious, you are amazing, you are wonderful, you are beyond all the things we can imagine or think of, and yet still at the same time you choose not just to dwell among us, but you choose to be one of us in Jesus. You choose to become one of us. You choose to live our lives, die our death, so that we can be in relationship with you, um, so that we can draw near, so that we can, so that we can know you. I ask from that space of intimacy, God, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, that even though we are not all in the same place together, that is not uh, a difficulty for you to unite and draw together. So I pray we would hear from you um, as your people this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in week two of our fall sermon series entitled Get Wisdom, where we're exploring some of the different moments in the book of Proverbs. And last week, we identified just what the book of Proverbs was. And so we started by establishing it's just, it's part of the Old Testament, which if you look in your Bible, it's the part that is all about life before Jesus is born. And so there's a big hunk of it uh, that if you haven't read it, it's really interesting to get to know and helps you a lot to understand who Jesus is, but this is part of that. And within that, it's part of a subsection of literature called the Wisdom Writings. And so it's joined by uh, Job, the Psalms, and the Song of Songs as this kind of genre-specific type of literature. And so there's something that it is trying to do within a certain style that makes it unique from different parts of Scripture. It's also uh, a compilation of sayings, discourses, and thoughts uh, about wisdom from various authors, including King Solomon. Um, He is one of and probably the predominant uh, author of many of the sayings in there, but it's not just Solomon. There are some other authors. And then uh, I didn't include this last week, but I'm going to this week, is that it was assembled by a final editor or editor sometime between 540 B.C. and 332 B.C., um, which means that it happened either right at the end of or right after probably the time of uh, captivity in Babylon. And then the the temple was rebuilt. Um, They negotiated a return to go back to uh, Jerusalem and rebuild the temple uh, in 537 BC. And so the reason why I wanted us to have that new piece of information is that I think it helps us to further understand what might be going on in the hearts of the people of Israel and why someone might feel it's important to compile these things together. Imagine you're returning 
from a time of exile that was facilitated by your own kind of decisions and your own behavior, right? That, that God said, look, if you keep going down this path, this is what's gonna happen. Someone might feel the need to say, let's not go down that path again. Let's collect these sayings that have been given to us uh, from some of the wisest people within, uh, within Israel and let's, let's examine those and see if those can help us stay on the right path. We don't wanna go that way again. And so I think it's just helpful and interesting to kind of pull those things and sort of see uh, how those help us and inform us in terms of knowing what's going on. A couple of other things from last week. Um, we discovered right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs this phrase, fear of the Lord. Um, and it's right in the first handful of verses. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And then in chapter nine, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And we kind of explored what that means and that scripture indicates that it's a phrase that's got kind of two aspects to it. One is uh, just the immensity of God, right? Which we liken to being an astronaut on a spacewalk and, and looking out and seeing the vastness of the universe before you. And then not just that, but realizing in that that there was something that created this. And at some point with, with God, it comes to this spot where it's not just something, it's someone. And it's one thing for us if it's, if it's just a force of some kind, right? But when it's someone, I think that adds a new level of largeness to it. And when we discover even that this God is love, Parts of scripture that say that God is slow to anger and abounding in love and that God is for us and so on. I think even though those are there, there is still this immense, immense immensity uh, that should stir in us not just a sense of awe but maybe a sense of awe that is overwhelming. And the second part is we also noted that in the Old Testament writers starting back in the books of, book of Exodus in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, that there's this phrase that moves along with this phrase, the fear of the Lord, and that is love the Lord. And that those two, they sort of walk together and that fear, this awe and this respect and reverence is very much tied also to love. So the author of Proverbs, I think, has that in their mind also as they're speaking these things. And then a couple of last things. Um, we also noted that wisdom is not something you can just obtain. It's not a one-step, two-step, three-step, and now you've got it and you're done kind of thing, but it is a path that you're on, and so it's a perpetual, ongoing thing. It's in every single decision we make, every word we say, every thought we process. Maybe that's why there are 31 chapters of it, but it's not a guarantee either. Having wisdom in one moment guarantees nothing for the next. In fact, it seems to be more of that it opens up doors and explorations and opportunities to learn and grow and further questions on the path and that somehow in that process we are changed, that wisdom invites us to see things in a new way, to be open to new possibilities. And then lastly, one of those possibilities is that wisdom, I believe, is costly. Um, and in, in being costly, it has the ability to carry sorrow and grief uh, in a way that doesn't push those things away or belittle those things or try to shut them down, but instead embraces and says, I actually know and understand what you're going through. And even if it doesn't specifically get it, it can recognize pain and sorrow in a way that allows it to carry it in ways that are appropriate. 
And so with those things, we're gonna jump into the section we're looking at today. It's in chapter three. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Proverbs chapter three, starting with verse one. If you don't have a Bible, we have our online uh, Bible tab that you can see on our online platform, or the words will be up on the screen and you can follow along as I read. Uh, This is Proverbs uh, chapter three, verses one through eight. My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Now, we all have, I think, what I'm gonna call our preferred ways of getting wisdom, the places we take insight from, sort of our points of reference. Uh, And these, I think, are reflective of whatever inputs um, or what one pastor refers to as ear gates, eye gates, and heart gates, Uh, whatever those things are tuned tuned to. It could be music, podcasts, books, websites, conversations, plays, activities, all kinds of things. And I believe that a lot of these things have good things going on in them. Growing up, I learned way more about life from participating in sports than I did in school. But I also realized at some point that these things were not able to help me navigate every question I had. And some of those were really big questions about what it meant to be a human being. And for many of us, our pursuit or our quest for wisdom to to learn and to grow has shifted from sort of a walk on a path to a sort of hamster wheel kind of process of hoarding information, seeking answers, seeking agreement and a validation to our philosophies and quick and easy resolutions to the things that make life difficult and make us uncomfortable. And what we find in the wisdom literature, including Proverbs, and I think all of Scripture, is a pushback against that. Proverbs instead invites us into a kind of wrestling and pondering that is very different than the pace of the hamster wheel. The Proverbs are reflection-oriented. It is more about a question often than an answer. It is much more reflective than declaration. And so again, we find that wisdom is not just the accumulation of information. You can't Google it. You can't get a degree in it, subscribe to it, buy it. But it's much slower. It's like a good red sauce or what some people refer to as a gravy. Um, Mark Blaisdell and I were just having a conversation about good red sauce the other day. And that sometimes it can take up to four days simmering for it to get how the cook, the chef wants it. For everything to break down and the flavors to come together in the way that is just perfect. It can take a while. It's not a quick process, but we usually want the quicker process. I have a short video clip I want to show you in just a second, but it needs a little bit of setup. First of all, if you know me, you know I love animation and you know I love martial arts and so I'm going to go to Kung Fu Panda uh, for a couple moments of insight Um, and the the setup though if you haven't seen it is uh, the main character Poe is a panda and he has been selected kind of accidentally as this character called the dragon warrior Uh, and this happened in the first movie but the person who is going to train the dragon warrior his name is Shifu he's a red panda 
This is completely against everything he wants, wishes, dreamed of. This is, it's so outside of his understanding of things that it was painful for him that, uh, that Poe was chosen, the panda, for this role. And so the two of them in the first movie spend a lot of time working this out. Um, and, uh, and, and this is, takes place after that, but this will be the scene. Master Shifu! Master Shifu, what do we got? Pirates? Vandals of Volcano Mountain? Whatever it is, I will take them down. Because I am in a mood. I need to get something done, you know what I mean? Uh, what are you doing? One of Master Ugwe's final teachings. of what it is the next phase of your training every master must find his path to inner peace some choose to meditate for 50 years in a cave just like this without the slightest taste of food or water or some find it through pain and suffering as I did for the day you were chosen as dragon warrior was the worst day of my life. By far, nothing else came close. It was the worst, most painful, mind-destroying, horrible moment okay. I have ever experienced. But once I realized the problem was not you, but within me, I found inner peace and was able to harness the flow of the universe. So that's it? I just need inner peace? My innards are already super, super peaceful, so all I need to do is just get this thing going. Inner peace, you're going down. Now show me what you were doing there with your feet. So we see with Poe, he wants an easier way than 50 years in a cave without food or water or suffering or grief or sorrow, and we understand that. None of us wants these things. But right now, Life is very hard for a lot of people. And many of us are asking big questions, again, about what it means to be a human being, and some of us, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in these times. And I believe that we find ourselves regularly in situations where we need help. And some of us have access to a lot of things. Some of us have access to family, friends, resources, wealth, and some of us don't. Some of us have access to information with the help of these little computers we carry in our pockets. We also have cognition, the processes in our great problem-solving brains. And because of these things, many of us feel most comfortable and secure placing our trust in ourselves and our own understanding. 
But whether we claim we are Jesus followers and confess that Jesus is Lord, or we're seeking Jesus but not sure, or we're positive we don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, I believe it's true of all humanity that at some point we have this like default switch that brings us back to focusing on ourselves. In 2018, the self-help industry was bringing in about $9.9 billion. It's estimated in uh, this year it'll bring in uh, $13 billion. And I don't want to hate on self-help because there are some really good things in there for sure. We need to learn how to create healthy boundaries and get good rest and do the healing work that we need to do in our lives. That's all good. But what concerns me most about self-help is often it is based and focused on productivity and performance. I'll be a better version of myself when I can do this. Again, it's not bad to have goals and to work towards those things, but when those are the things that tell us what our worth and our value and what our identity is, then I believe we have very much missed the mark. And the $13 billion metric tells us that we are consuming this industry at a high volume. Why? Well, because we want to get better. We want to change. We want to grow and we want to learn. But is that the way to do it alone? I remember uh, in college, I was working at a Christian bookstore, and a young couple came in. Uh, I say young. They were older than I was at the time, but um, they seem young to me now. Uh, But they came in, and they came up to the counter, and they set down uh, all the books we had on finance, which was six. Uh, And so they set those on the counter, and I was ringing them up, and I heard the gal say to the guy, "Um, I don't know if we can afford all those books. And the guy said, but they're on finance. They're going to help us. And, and so we, the three of us, had this little conversation where we figured out, okay, these books are going to have a lot of things similar. They're going to say a lot of the same thing. So you don't need them all. Let's find one or two that kind of fit who you are, right? But it was all of us working together that were able to figure that out. Um, but it, it just shows sometimes we think, I, I got to consume. I need all these books because they're going to help me, but, but they're going to cost me something that I don't have, right? And so we just don't always see these things through. We see things through a lens of consumption and high productivity and output and performance. And what happens in a community setting then is that translates to we're looking for ways to move ahead of the others, and then it becomes competitive, And in all of this, we take our ladders, our pathways to get to where we want to be, and we lean them up against our own understanding and oftentimes up against the people that are around us, and we try to use them for leverage to move ahead. But when our approach to wisdom and understanding is built upon outperforming one another, instead of sitting and listening, being patient and waiting, carrying and serving or giving someone else a boost who is in need when we can, then again, we've missed the mark. So what then does this all have to do with this passage we're talking about, this this passage about wisdom and where to put our trust? And there are three words from this passage that I want to look at and hone in on. I think it's gonna help us, uh, but I also think it might make us uncomfortable, might make us feel a little bit vulnerable, and I think it's gonna ask some things of us. Uh, The first word I wanna look at is trust. Um, and the Hebrew word is batach, 
And uh, there's two ways that it's uh, used. It's figuratively and literally. In the figurative way is it means to trust, to have confidence, to be bold, and to be secure. But literally, it means to run or flee to shelter or protection. And I love that. I love that literal sense that it has it to be to run to protection. In our pursuit of wisdom and understanding along the pathway, are we moving to God? Are we running? Are we fleeing to God's refuge with all of our heart? But then that begs the question, what does that even look like? Does it mean we become like nuns and monks and move out to the woods or move into seclusion somewhere? Or does it mean that we spend every waking moment we have volunteering with different organizations? Or is there something different? One of the things I note in in all the stories I engage with is how the different types of people relate to one another and how they navigate the world differently. Um, an example, one of my favorite stories is the, the Lord of the Rings stories. And in one, uh, and I like both the books and the movies, so if you have issues with one of those, you can talk to me later. But um, uh, in this one scene, these three characters, Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli are, are traveling across these rolling plains, and they're running. And Legolas is an elf who has heightened strength and endurance, and so this is no problem for him. Aragorn is this kind of uh, uber cool guy, but he also is really uh, kind of, he's this ranger, and so he's been out in the woods a lot, and he's riding around, and so he's very healthy, and he's not having any problem with this either. Gimli is a dwarf who's built much more like me, and if you've ever uh, run with me, you know that I'm not running for any long, medium, or even short-term distances. Uh, And so Gimli points out that dwarves are much more known for their sprinting abilities, their short bursts of energy versus the long, distant ones. And what I see in this is sort of an attempt to like identify like where my strength is, how do I fit in? And when we're comparing ourselves to others, We might do that in a weird way, but when we are thinking about what it means to pursue God in a way that isn't about production or performance, but it's about our hearts, are our hearts turned to God? And not in a performance kind of measured way, but in an awe, wonder, and love way, then it's different. So are we looking to God in the midst of all the information that we're participating with and sorting through, or are we leaning first and foremost on our own understanding? And I want to acknowledge that some of us, understandably and justifiably so, have a difficult time trusting. And I think all of us have to do work to gain a new understanding of who we are and who God is in order that we can put our trust in God to seek that safety and security that is part of gaining wisdom. There's a spot later in Proverbs where it says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Have you ever thought or believed or even known that something was right and true until you found out it wasn't? And maybe it didn't lead to death, but you found out you were wrong. And this can be something small or it can be something big. It can be something that doesn't really have a big impact on your life or it can change everything in your life. But the question is who or what do you lean on as you navigate life? The second word is acknowledge. And I actually don't think this is the best uh, translation. The Hebrew word here is yada, and it means to know, to perceive and see, find out, discern, distinguish, to know by experience or recognize. And so I can see how acknowledge is part of that, but it seems small to me. 
But when we put it in the context of the whole verse, I think it becomes different. Because when are we supposed to perceive, see, find, discern, distinguish, know by experience, and recognize? In all of our ways. And this word for ways is derech, and it means road, path, journey, way, or direction. And I love how Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, translates this verse. He says, listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he is the one who will keep you on track. I love that. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go, which it's good because it implies that God is there in everything we do and everywhere we go. But do we recognize his voice? And I would say even beyond his voice, his communication, his nonverbals, so to speak, God's nature, which we find out later in the New Testament in 1 John, God's nature is love. God is love. And we just went through the book of Galatians There's this section in there where things are identified as the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And those things are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think those things are not a bad starting point to ask, do I see, hear, feel, sense any of those things anywhere in my life? And if so, that's the voice of God. Run to it. Go to it. I think this is also where prayer is very helpful. Spending time listening to and talking with God. And whether it's five seconds, five hours, five days, I think it's good. And anything you can move in that direction is a good start. Because what do we spend time with each day? Facebook, other social media, news sites, YouTube, Magazines, books, articles, all kinds of things. But do we spend time reading scripture, reflecting on scripture, singing a song that maybe opens our heart to God in that moment? And I'm not challenging you to anything like saying, if you spend an hour on Facebook, I want you to spend an hour in scripture. I'm asking, do you at all in that process, on your, in all your ways, do you acknowledge God? Are you listening for God's voice in those things? And then see where that takes you. And I'm also not just saying, do you, sometimes when we read things, we go, I'm angry about that. I bet God's angry about that too. But we don't ever actually ask God. Can you take those things that you're discovering in those places, even in that moment, and say, Lord, what do you think about this right now? What do you think about me being here right now? And then the last thing is fear. And uh, the, the Hebrew word here is yachre, and it means to fear, to be afraid, to stand in awe of reverence, honor, and respect. And we talked about this last week, we talked about it at the beginning of the time today, but this is a tough one for us, uh, because we don't live in a time that's big on awe, or reverence, respect, or honor, but it is a time that's big on fear. There are a lot of people, because of a lot of different things, that live in fear. It could be people in Afghanistan. It could be people in our own neighborhoods. There are people all across the planet for all kinds of reasons, whether systemic or not. There are all kinds of things that are causing people to live in fear in every moment of their lives. But that's 
not the kind of fear that we are invited to here. And the other thing is we might ask people or demand of people to be respected or honored, but do we extend that same thing to everyone? Do I stand in awe of another person as an image bearer of God? And not in a way where I idolize them or make them an idol, but do I recognize another person as created in the image of God? Does that reality shape how I engage with that person? We sing a song sometimes called So Will I, where one of the lyrics says, I can see your heart a billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. And if you gave your life to love them, so will I. That Jesus sees every human life as worthy of his own. There is a sense of honor and respect that Jesus has towards humanity as part of God's very good creation that God loves, adores, and delights in and would give his own son for. Do we even key into that? Do we look at our family with that same heart? Do we look at our neighbor with that same heart? Do we look at our coworkers, the people we meet at the grocery store, the person who cuts us off on the freeway, our government, our leadership? Do we look at all people with that same heart? One of the verses that we talk about a lot here is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 16, and it says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. This worldly point of view means that we look at people as objects. We look at people as something I can step on to get to the next level or something I can use for my own pleasure. And this says we, from now on, we regard no one in this way. And I think sometimes we don't do this very well because we are more afraid of what God asks us to do, the transformation that could take place that would change us from a person who can hate and use people into a person who could love people. And I think we fear that more than we fear God. And not in the punishment kind of way, but in that largeness, it's too big for me to get my head wrapped around kind of way. Now, in all these things, uh, I have not given necessarily a lot of direction and filled in a lot of blanks because my goal with this is not to tell you what to believe or necessarily what to do, but to challenge you with some questions. Wisdom is like that, I think. It, it opens us up to new things. And so I, I wanna close with this analogy then that, again, I told you before I played a lot of sports growing up, and one of the things that occurs in sports, and especially ones where you're receiving some kind of ball or an object, right, whether it be a soccer ball, a football, or the baseball's coming at you, maybe it's a puck or a disc like an ultimate, uh, ultimate frisbee, um, or in martial arts where it's a foot or a fist coming at you. Um, I'm gonna brag for just a second. Uh, my daughter Gianna in my martial arts school yesterday tested for her red belt and, uh, and part of that was she sparred with me and she clocked me. 
really well. Two times, right, over here. Yeah, once in my eye, and I had this dream, I said, of, I've had this dream of coming to preach with a black eye that was from my daughter. Um, and it didn't do that, but if you come and look at me, I have a spot right here that has swollen up, and she thumped me good. Um, uh, but with that, you're, you're supposed to, in sports, be in these positions where you're ready to receive whatever is coming at you, whether it's tennis where you kind of have your feet a certain distance apart and you got your racket up and you're, you're not standing up like this, right? You gotta be able to move in these things. I think wisdom is like this. It's about uh, a posture and a position more than it is just having the answers. Are we ready to receive what God has for us? Because what God offers everyone is life and love in Jesus. In Colossians 2, we read this. My goal is that they, this is written by Paul, uh, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we look to Jesus. We look at how Jesus lived, we look at how Jesus loved and how everything that Jesus did and we find insight and wisdom. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I have a couple of questions that I'm gonna ask and we'll, the worship team will give you a couple minutes to reflect on those and if you wanna share your answers with us, you can put them on that digital connection card. If you're here in person, you can write those down and put it in the wood box in the back. You can email, text us. We really do love to get responses. It really, we feel like it's a way that the Spirit speaks to us about how we're all engaging with the things that we're talking about. I also wanna let you know that our prayer team is gonna be uh, ready to pray with you for anything if you have prayer. Uh, about anything they are ready to go so please please take advantage of of that moment to do that Um, my questions this morning and I want to preface this by saying uh, these questions are not assuming that you are or are not doing any of these things if you're doing these things awesome if you're not please receive it as an invitation to uh, to engage in some of these things my first question is what are some ways that you can trust in God or run to God What does that look like for you? What are the thoughts that come to mind when you think about that and and let your imagination kind of go? Second, what are some ways you can listen for God's voice in all that you do, in all your ways? Again, whether that's at the grocery store shopping or it's driving or it's dropping kids off or whatever it is you're doing, leading a ministry, reading, taking a walk, whatever, how can you listen God's voice, for God's voice and all those things. Third, do you find when you think of fearing God, you think more of I'm fearing God because I'm afraid he's gonna punish me if I don't do what he wants or is it more of that awe, reverence and overwhelmed kind of fear or is it a mix of both? Some days it might be one more or the other but but where are you at right now? And then lastly, what posture or position do you find yourself in recently? Are you ready? Are you reeling? Did you over-anticipate something? Are you collapsed, exhausted, injured, recovered, up? Like what, what posture? And if, if you think about it in terms of your, your body even, it might be helpful to write down like what, what body position, right? And is that somehow a reflection of, of, of where you're at internally? Uh, I'm gonna pray. Again, we'll take a moment to reflect and then the worship team will lead us in a closing song and a benediction. God, I just confess again that as, as we 
go into these times to talk about wisdom. Um, sometimes it feels like wisdom is always just out of grasp. Right? We're, we're, we're running and chasing something uh, and, and we're trying all these different things and it's hard and I'm out of energy. I don't have any more to put towards it. Um, but just as we sang earlier, that's, that's when a lot of it is leaned on my own understanding. I pray for us to have time and space to reflect on things. I pray for us to not feel the press to consume more and more information, but to first explore the, the information we're actually engaging with instead of just moving on to the next thing. And I pray that we would hear your voice see who you are, sense your presence and what you're communicating to us in all the things we do. And that you would lead us and guide us in the ways that are good. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.